Hey, if you are just now hopping on, I want to say thank you for being a part of our service today. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor uh, here at Grace. If you are a mom and you are just hopping on, while we've already prayed for you and talked about this being Mother's Day, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you uh, who, are, who are just now joining the service. We're starting a new series today called uh, Open Source. It's a computer term that refers to the idea that the code that determines the way a website behaves is now accessible to more people. Uh, a, a way to picture this might be the difference between a regular website and a website like Wikipedia. So if you go to encyclopedia.org or com, whichever one it is, you can't have access to anything behind, behind the scenes. All you can see is what they have up front. Whereas if you go to Wikipedia, uh, you can see everything that's up front. But if you're interested with a couple of clicks, you can get behind the scenes and you can actually add to the story that is written, which is awesome. Or you could change the stuff which has already been written, which would be, would be bad. So, I mean, I guess that's the risk of open source is when you make it available to more people, uh, you're now giving access to people to manipulate it for other purposes than what you intended. Uh, so if you, if you Google funny edits of Wikipedia, you'll find pages and pages of awesome stuff. I've got just a few examples for you to tell you what I mean. Uh, if you go to list of serial killers ranked by the number of their victims, at one point somebody had changed it uh, to say uh, there was an editorial comment uh, because the page didn't have as much information as what they were wanting. And that editorial comment said, this list is incomplete. You can help by expanding it. And somebody added, but please do not expand this list by killing additional people. Uh, which is, <laughs> you would think would be, would be obvious. And that was, you know, th the best natured one. Uh, under first law of thermodynamics, somebody had, had changed it to say, the first law of thermodynamics is that we don't talk about thermodynamics, which is a little bit of a reference or a throwback callback uh, to Fight Club, that movie. Uh, under Charlie Sheen, uh, the actor, it had said, probably written about the time where he had his moment, if we can call it that, uh, so those of you guys who are like in your mid-20s and older, you might remember all of that where he's talking about tiger blood and stuff like that. Um, but it said, uh, Charlie, Charlie Sheen, born September 1965, half man, half cocaine. So I don't know how long that was up. Completely inappropriate. It was changed back. Underneath God complex, somebody had changed it to say at one point, see also Kanye West which is kind of funny. And maybe if you were going to do that, you might insert somebody else's name there. But in the same way, God had taken uh, his story from being closed source, meaning you could only see it from the outside from this perspective, and, how may, and, and now had opened it up and made it available uh, to, to everybody. So God had gone from closed source to open source. His presence left the physical building of the temple and now had moved into the hearts of everybody who was willing to turn from their brokenness, their disobedience towards him, their selfishness towards others to begin following, following Jesus. So he went from one to now available to, to everybody. Another way that he had changed was access to him, where those who were from one group of people, one ethnicity, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had full access to the creator of the universe. Uh, because of what Jesus had done, God had now open sourced it, and it was now available to be downloaded by anybody who would accept the rescuer that God had sent through the Jewish people. So while this is awesome, it was also risky. 
over the last 2,000 years, the code had been changed to fit the selfish needs of those who did not share the same agenda as God. You can think of the church during the Dark Ages. Think of the Crusades. Think of the cults that exist that are based off of an intentional misrepresentation or an, a re-edit of what the Bible actually says. Or maybe you can think of a few self-serving religious leaders or televangelists who have manipulated the scriptures to serve themselves. The good news, though, is that we still have a copy of the unedited original version of the code. And in here is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts gives us the story of those followers of Jesus who are continuing to add to the story of what it looked like to be reconciled to God without changing the mission or the message of God found in the things that Jesus had said. And truthfully, that's what we want. We want to keep adding to the story without changing the message of the story, the words in the story. I'm going to answer three questions today. Uh, the first question is, um, uh, what is the advantage of a crisis? Second question is, how do I find God in a crisis? And what does God want me to do now? And, and my genuine hope for every single one of you who are listening to this is that this is going to be in some way helpful to the way that you actually live your life. So here's the first question again. The first question is, what is the advantage of a crisis? And that might sound like an, an oxymoron to you because we don't actually think that there are any advantages that come to us in a crisis. All I'm thinking about is all the bad things that have changed. I'm thinking about the way that baseball has been canceled and the Premier League has been canceled and NBA, the end of the NBA was canceled and how uh, March Madness was canceled. And we're thinking of all the, like you're, you're stuck at your house possibly or you're, you've been furloughed. Uh, and you don't have the income that you had before. Like all we see are the disadvantages in a crisis. Uh, but the number one advantage in a crisis is that it creates an opportunity that didn't exist before the crisis. I give you an example. One of those examples could be possibly that you are right now listening to this teaching where God is going to take something that's said in his word and apply it specifically to your life in a way that you would not have been open to receive had you not gone through what we're all going through right now. The truth is, I know for a fact this weekend that we wouldn't even be teaching on this without that, this crisis. We had a whole series planned that we scrapped once we went into quarantine because of this. So I know for, like, and, and, and if anything good comes from this, that it helps you in the rest of your life, then that is an advantage that you would not have had had we not gone through the crisis that we're all going through. Uh, you may be more open to God in ways now that you were not open to God before. That would be an advantage that comes to you because of this crisis. You may be spending more time with your family, and that is an advantage. You may be more open to creative solutions to problems that may have even existed before this crisis, but simply you were not open to until this crisis happened. And that's what God does with a crisis in Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. Those are the four chapters we're going to be going over quickly. We're not going to be reading all four of those chapters for the sake of time. But in chapter 6 and 7, there's a guy named Stephen who was not one of the pastors of the very first church in Jerusalem, but he was one of the volunteer leaders in the first church 
of Jerusalem, who has an opportunity to share with other people what God had done in his life. And so he starts with Jesus. How Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection was given to him by God as a gift to pay off his debt before a holy and righteous God, and that today Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father. And those who heard Jesus' teaching were upset by that because by saying that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he had power over death, that he was sitting at the right hand of the Father, that he was equal to God, and they called that blasphemy and asked him to change his story. And he said, I'm not going to change what I know to be true. And then they killed him for it. It was the very first person to ever die because he believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That was the crisis. We find the advantage that comes from this in Acts chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bible on your cell phone, you can open it up. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day. That's the crisis. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's the crisis. Here's the opportunity that came because of the crisis, and that's in verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus had first decided that he was going to be leaving his disciples, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until God's presence filled their heart. And he said, when God's spirit fills your heart, you'll be a witness of me in Jerusalem. And then he actually names Judea and Samaria. And here we are already a third of the way through the book of Acts well into the story of those who are followers of Jesus, and they had not been a witness like Jesus had said. They had stayed in Jerusalem. They had not taken advantage of the opportunity that they had before crisis came to be a witness of Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And ironically, almost, it was the crisis that moved them to get their tails out of Jerusalem and actually go into the places where Jesus said that they should have been all along. It was the crisis that created the opportunity for the mission to be fulfilled in their lifetime, through their lives even. Um, it's not that God brought the killing of Stephen to move them out, any more than God brought this crisis that we're in to do whatever it is that he intends to do in your life either. However, God did use the crisis of Stephen's death to accomplish good in the same way that I believe God intends to use this crisis to do something in your life that either you would not have been willing to cooperate with or the opportunity did not exist until this crisis came. So I'm wondering what could God be trying to do in your life right now through this crisis that you may not have been open to at any other time in your life. Maybe it's to spend time with him on a more regular basis. Because truthfully, you might be spending more time praying and talking to God now than you ever have. Every time you feel fear, anxiety, exhaustion, or despair because of how long this is taking it, and it seems like there's no end in sight. Every one of those things are a trigger to you to get you to talk to God. And so you right now are talking to God more than you ever have, and that's an advantage. Maybe you are prioritizing your family over your career for the first time, and that is an advantage. Maybe God is forcing you to deal with your control issues by showing you how little of your life you're actually in control of, and that's an advantage that you would never have had outside of this crisis. That brings me to the second question. How do I find God 
in crisis? I'd say it's the wrong question, actually. It's something that we're asking, and I would say you're only asking this question because God has already used this crisis to grab your attention. And it's not that we spend our lives looking for God. We don't. We spend our lives distracted by everything in our lives from God most of the time. And when we are most open to God is as a result of something happening in our lives that grabbed our attention. So it's not that we are seeking after him as much as he is initiating opportunities with us to come back to him. So God grabs our attention in crisis. My choice, though, is not in looking for God. My choice is whether or not I'm going to respond to God once he has my attention. This happens in Acts chapter 8. God uses the crisis to send Philip to initiate an opportunity for a man named Simon to have his attention turned off of his own life and everything that he had arranged in his life and the direction he was going. And once God had his attention, because God had used a crisis to send Philip to grab his attention, to give him the opportunity, then he chose to respond by turning from his brokenness to begin following after the ways of Jesus. Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. This would have never happened had the crisis not been leveraged by God to send Philip to get his attention in the first place. Solomon talks about the way that God uses crisis to grab our attention and the way that we can use that moment to actually make a different decision that affects the rest of our entire lives. Acts chapter 7 verse 2 and 4 says this, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take it to heart. If I've got to choose between a party and a funeral, I'm going to choose a party. But when we're looking at the quality of what it does to a person's life, Solomon says in all of his wisdom, the funeral has a greater opportunity to make the biggest difference in your life. Why? Because it's at a funeral where we consider the shortness of our life and the fact that we will one day meet our creator. And it's in crisis that God grabs our attention. The question is now, how am I going to respond? Which brings me to the third question. The third question is this. What does God want me to do now that he has my attention? So God uses this crisis as an advantage in our life to create an opportunity that did not exist before. And in this opportunity, he grabs our attention. And let's say now I've already taken this opportunity to respond. Now that God has my attention to turn from my personal brokenness accepting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that gives me the opportunity to be right with God. Now that God has my life, what am I supposed to do next? And the truth is, after baptism, I'm not exactly sure, specifically for you. Only you can figure that out. You've got to consider everything in your life, everything at your disposal, and then you need to find a way to leverage your life to bring glory to God and good toward other people. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, the same guy who was in charge of killing Stephen, is on his way to Damascus, and Jesus has an intervention. Knocks him on his butt, tells him to turn from his sin and brokenness to begin following after Jesus, in which he does, and then sends him into Damascus to wait for instructions. Then God comes to a follower of Jesus already in Damascus and gives him instructions on how to go in to connect with Saul. And here's that man's response. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by leading priests to arrest everyone who calls in your name here. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So here's my question. Why did God want Saul to do those things if he already had Peter, James, John, the other disciples, all the 20,000 followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, and even Ananias in Damascus? And I would say that the answer is far more pragmatic than what we would think, and it's simply because Saul had a passport and they did not. Saul was a natural-born Roman citizen. He had things in his life and his past at his disposal. There was a part of his story that he was able to bring to the table that was unique that the other disciples didn't have to bring. And God could actually do different things in his life because of the trajectory of his story than what he could do in theirs. And God intended to use part of their past, his past, to build something for his kingdom that was unique to the way that God had prepared him. Saul had something unique to bring to the table, and I'm wondering what you have that is unique that you have to offer to bring to the table. And I don't know how you're going to work through that, but there's a couple of guys in our church named Craig and Moses who are professionals and successful in their careers who are working through that question themselves, and I'm going to let them tell you uh, what conclusions they've come to uh, through an interview I was able to do with them on Thursday. So this interview, total interview, is 10 minutes and 10 seconds. And that's an opportunity for you to find out how they're working through what God wants them to do next. So I'm with um, uh, Craig and Moses, two really cool guys in our church family. And uh, they're going to talk about what we're, what we're talking about today in the teaching. So if you guys don't mind, I will start with you, Craig, if you don't mind, uh, give us a brief introduction and then Moses will hop straight to you. Yeah, my name is uh, Craig Hastings. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Brittany, for just over 10 years. Um, we have been attending Grace for about five years now with our two kids, Piper and Isla, uh, both six and three years, respectively. Yep. Moses? My, name, my, my name is Moses Hayward, uh, married to Justinia Hayward. Uh, we have two kids, two boys, 10 and 12. We've been married going on 15 years, coming up this August, and been at Grace just about four years. That's awesome. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, we'll just stay in the same order. Uh, but tell us what you do for a living, like what your profession is. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a chef or culinary director for a company, Baking Steel. Uh, we produce a product to cook with. Um, and my wife and I also just started a uh, nonprofit called Served recently. And I, I, work, I work as, as an attorney, a patent attorney in particular. I have a background in engineering. That's awesome. Uh, so, Craig, I know that you were a uh, you were a full time chef at a high end restaurant. Is that correct? Yeah, I uh, worked in Boston um, for a chef at an incredible restaurant for uh, a year and a half. Here, I went to culinary school and uh, was in California, New York. Opened up some restaurants and uh, decided to kind of move back here um, to be closer to family a little bit more. And because I know your story, um, I know that when you first started coming to Grace Church. Uh, you wouldn't have necessarily called yourself a religious man. Am I right? Yeah, it probably wouldn't be uh, those two words put together. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it, was a, it was a rough rough go for that uh, year and a half or so working in Boston, you know, 100-hour work weeks, and um, eventually got down to coming home to a couple, a couple of um, rough letters from my wife on the kitchen table and uh, just had to 
you know, finally realized I had to change something up if I wanted to be a, a better husband and a, a better father to my kid at the time. So, And you started coming to Grace Church. And if you don't mind, kind of catch us up to where you are now in your in your spiritual journey, your relationship with God. What, yeah. How did that kind of get from there to where you are now? Give us like the milestones. Yeah, so um, once I kind of realized I had to uh, change my job or change something up in my life um, to keep it moving positive, um, I gave my notice at work in the city um, and was able to find a job that I could, you know, work from home a lot or just, you know, hours weren't really depending on me being somewhere for 120 hours a week. Um, and that's when my wife said we should start going to Grace, uh, find a local church, and we were pumped to start somewhere new. Um, and I loved learning each week. It just got better and better and pushed me more to be a better godly man, um, eventually getting baptized about three years ago. Um, and that time with my new job, it gave me more opportunities to, you know, uh, run a life group or um, serve on a team. And, and now we were able to, my wife and I started a nonprofit that we can, we can help people uh, in need, which is awesome. And if you don't mind, give me a couple of thoughts as, so you're, you're, you get this, you get this new job. Um, and your life was comfortable. You got more time with your wife and kids. And then, um, then you go out and you start something extra, right? right. Like, uh, and, and you're doing, you've got this nonprofit served that, that helps homeless people provide, provide meals. Why did you, why did you do that? Like, what, what were you thinking? And how do you feel like God led you into this new thing? Yeah, we were, um, my wife and I were obviously spending more time together and, um, and just kind of talking back and forth. And we just, we kind of had that aha moment seeing, you know, a show on TV that kind of, kind of like jerked us around a little bit, um, helping people in need, you know, solving hunger and food waste at the same time. And I was like, you know what, I, you know, I think God's given us these talents and these abilities to, to cook and provide meals and be hospitable to people. You know, why can't we do that? Right? Why can't we just do that smaller scale? We don't have to be worldwide, but help, help our local community. You know, why can't that be us? And um, I was kind of like, you know what, let's, we know we prayed about it. Our life group prayed about it for a while. And, you know, our men's group did. It was like, you know what, let's just go for it. Um, that's when it, we, we formed it. And now we're, we'll be hitting the street next week with a food truck. So we're, we're pumped. Yeah, it's amazing. They catch, uh, they, they get food uh, from restaurants and grocery stores before it goes to the landfill. And then they, they use that to actually provide like really high quality meals with professional chefs, that volunteer for people uh, in need. I think that that's great. Moses, uh, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of your uh, professional journey to catch us up to where you're at now. Yeah, so I, I started off um, an engineer. Uh, I have a tinkering mind, so I, I love building stuff. And so I started off in engineering. Somewhere along the way, I decided, you know what, let, let me add a, a law degree to this. So I ended up going to law school afterwards. Uh, so I work as a patent attorney now. Uh, I've been doing that for a little over 10 years. And um and uh, and now I'm starting to to dabble in some other stuff just based on uh, uh, interest and and um, uh, things that I feel like God's uh, moving to me to do also to to open up capacity. So I know that the job that you have now as a patent attorney takes a lot of your time, not just nine to five, but also like we've been on a couple of like leadership trips and you've got to bring your computer and you got to get them billable hours and. So I know that that's that that's always in the back of your head, and that you're kind of preparing to kind of move back from that a little bit. Um, is there like do you know? Is there a specific thing that you're going to stepping into? If you don't mind, talk to me about uh, briefly just uh, why you're trying to prepare yourself to kind of do something different. 
So I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm asking myself, am, am I uh, fully leveraged um, to do the things that, that matter most to God? And, um, uh, you know, the, the job that I have is, it, it is quite demanding, um, takes a lot of time. Um, but it's, it's trained me in a way that, that, um, that's really, uh, shaped the way that I think about things and think about ideas. Um, but I find myself asking, you know, uh, I mean, it's great. It helps me provide for my family. It helps me to be generous. Uh, but when I look back at that question of being fully leveraged, I ask myself, am I using, uh, everything that I feel like God has given me, um, to do the most, to, mo- to do the most good in the world. And, uh, and, and, when I come back, I don't necessarily like the answer that I get. And I feel like um, there, there's room to do more in, in a more meaningful way. And so God's been really uh, pushing on me on that. Um, uh, I feel a little bit like Abraham. I feel like God's telling me to go. I don't know exactly where we're going, um, uh, but, but I feel like he's telling me uh, to move. And, um, and so I'm just trying to, trying to, trying to follow his lead. What I love is that both of you guys, because of your relationship with God, are looking for ways to use what you're naturally good at uh, to serve God and make a difference in the world, to help people. Uh, If there are people who are part of our services this weekend and they're saying, I'm not exactly sure what I should be doing, but I don't feel that what I'm doing now is all that God's created me for. Uh, And they came to you and said, I don't know what like, is there a question I should be asking? What's your advice for somebody who's, who's at that place right now, Craig? What would you say to them? Yeah, I would, I would definitely, you know, dig deep and, and in prayer and, and ask God, like, what, what are those, those skills, but not only skills that, that you're good at, but passionate about too? Because I think just because you're good at something, um, if you're not passionate about it, you're, you're not going to give the full 100%. It's not going to, that's not what God wants you to leverage. So I think what you're passionate about um, and skilled at, and that, that mix is, is something you should dig deep in and pray to God about um, what you can do in the world. That's awesome. Moses, if you don't mind, can you answer the same question? If somebody's in this spot and they're asking you, dude, what advice do you have for me? What would you say to them? Yeah. So I, I give them similar advice to, to what I give people. Um, when I'm giving them career advice, I tell them to figure out uh, what they're passionate about and figure out how to be successful doing that rather than figure out what they can be successful at and, uh, and follow that. If they pursue what they're successful at, um, uh, they, they might find good success at the beginning, but they can uh, easily burn out because they feel like they're not really uh, fulfilling their purpose. Uh, if they look at the passions that God is putting in the things that, that he's um, put a desire on their heart to do, which typically uh, coincides with things that they can do well. If they pursue that and, and ask God, God, how can I get the most success out of these things that I'm passionate about? I think God will start to uh, push them in, in a direction uh, that leads them to things that um, kind of aligns their passions with his passion. That's awesome. Uh, you had said earlier that the things that we are naturally good at or are passionate about, we tend to develop skill sets around. Right. And I, I thought that was great. And then it's just looking for opportunities that present themselves. Like for you, Craig, it was a TV show and you said, I, I, I could do that. And I know mm-hmm. Moses, because of our friendship, you're not hundred percent sure what that's going to look like. So what you're doing right now is just preparing yourself and your family so that you can jump on the opportunity when it, 
when it does. Hey, man, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. And um, I'm sure you guys will be online this weekend watching this too. So. so as you just heard, Craig looked in his life at the stuff that he was already good at. And he asked, how could I use this for someone besides myself? It's very similar to a question that God had asked Moses in the desert. God said to Moses at the burning bush, he said, Moses, what's in your hand? So what is in your hand? For him, it was a staff. And God said, fine, I'll use that. Carlos is a guy in our church, and he's a contractor. He comes to God, God, I want to give my life to you. God says to Carlos, what do you have in your hand? I'm a contractor. I'm a carpenter. Every summer, Carlos spends part of his vacation in Kenya helping out one of our mission projects. Barb Moynihan uh, works with special needs for the Boston Public School System. When she comes to God and asks, what should I be doing with my life? She comes to the place, I think what God wants me to do is help Grace Church start a special needs program for kids in the Grace Kids program, which is awesome. That's exactly what she's doing. Joanne Brown is a school teacher, and she's now teaching at Grace Kids in fourth and fifth grade. There's a guy who writes grants for the Boston Public School. He was given a grant by a public corporation of a million dollars for the Boston Public School. And then they said... If you can find something else in your home country of Haiti, we'd like to write a million dollar grant for them also. And he's now in contact with a missions organization that we partner with in Haiti, looking for ways that that money can be used not only to make a difference in the education of Haitians who live in that economically depressed part of their country, but also give them creative ways to find and follow Jesus. Moses asked if he was fully leveraging his life. And I think that's the question you need to ask. Am I right now fully leveraged? It's not that Moses isn't doing anything as a devoted follower of Jesus. His question is, am I doing everything I could do? Is there more meat on the bone? Is there more gas in the tank? Is there more RPMs left in the, in the motor? For the kingdom of God and, and the answer for him was no. So he's now rearranging his entire life to keep finding out more ways in which he can be fully leveraged for the glory of God. So what if you, as a follower of Jesus, were to ask those same two questions? What if you were to ask, am I fully leveraging everything I have, everything I know, and everything I can do for the glory of God and the good of others? And if not, then I think God's question for you would be the same as it was for Carlos, the same that it was for Moses, the same that it was for Saul. What is in your hand? What are you doing with that? Maybe you're like the Ethiopian uh, eunuch or, or like Simon. And for you, you're just spiritually disconnected. But God honestly right now has 100% of your attention. And you recognize that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that fully pays off your debt before a holy and righteous God. And someday when you stand before God and he says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking any of my laws and being selfish towards my fellow man? You know and would respond honestly that you are guilty of breaking God's laws. And you know there's nothing that you can ever do good enough to ever make you innocent of breaking his laws. But because God is good, he would let somebody who was innocent take your place because you're guilty. And that's Jesus. And you're willing to accept that on your behalf your prayer is simply, God, take away my sin. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the dead with a new life to pay off my debt and to give me new life. That's what I want. Dear God, I am all in. Do in my life and through my life 
whatever you want. I don't know which prayer you need to make, but I pray that you pray that now, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. God, I'm thankful for every single person who's a part of this service now, and I know, God, that this is an opportunity that all of us have because of this crisis to reconsider the direction and choices of our lives. I pray that we would take full advantage of this. Now that you have initiated contact with us, you've grabbed our attention. God, for those of us who are disconnected from you, I pray that we would call on you to be forgiven and to be saved from the consequences of our sin. If that's you, make that prayer. God, take away my sin. Forgive me for it. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for raising from the dead with new life. I want new life also. I am all in. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and your prayer is, God, show me any area of my life where I am not fully leveraged for your kingdom purposes and for the good of others. And if you show me an area of my life where I'm underperforming spiritually, I'm giving you my commitment to step up my game. Can you make that prayer? Dear God, I pray that you are pleased by the attitude of our hearts and the direction of our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.